Welcome to Forward Progress on the Hammer Betting Network on this Monday, January 29th. Today, we're going to be talking about the championship weekend fallout, uh, including some questionable coaching decisions in both games, what the losing teams might do this offseason, and our first look preview of the Super Bowl. Do me a favor, like and subscribe to this content. It's greatly appreciated. It helps to boost us in the algorithm. Also, comment any questions you have in the chat. We'll do our best to get as many of them as we can into the show of course none of this will be possible without our sponsor pinnacle they're the world's sharpest sports book and available to betters in ontario find out what the pros have known for the last 25 years everyday competitive odds your trusted sports book bet smart bet pinnacle must be 19 plus in ontario i'm joined again this week we're missing one member but i'm still joined by two superstars cleave ta plus ev better cleaveanalytics.com Sharp Clark, NFL originator, betting analyst at 4for4.com. Let's get the show on the road, and I guess I want to start off with Baltimore, Kansas City. The Chiefs ended up winning 17-10. to And, uh, Cleve, are you surprised that Baltimore came out with a game plan that wasn't heavily based on the run? Yeah, I could already see the people in the chat uh, discussing that and pretty pretty, uh, pissed off about it. And it's like I tweeted about it earlier. Like, I'm as – pro pass heavy of a guy as you'll ever find and this is the one you know not the one game but this was like a perfect situation where you have a a quarterback who's just the the greatest you know probably the greatest running quarterback of all of our of our time you have just a really good run offense especially using kind of that power run game uh between between the guards and the tackles against Kansas City was dead last at defending power run uh, uh, run offenses based on uh, according to DVOA. Like that is the one weakness uh, they didn't have Willie Gay. It was like so primed for hey, just pound the ball. Just you know that's how Buffalo moved the ball uh, uh, in the prior week, and they just did none of that. It was crazy that Gus Edwards had uh, one carry I think in the first quarter, and it was a 15 yard run, which was great. That you know he gets that one carry. It was a power formation. He just he bolts through for that big game, and that was right after Lamar Jackson on that fourth down went right up the middle for twenty yards, and they just went away from it. I I, I don't really understand. I you know I'm sure there's smarter X and X's and O's guys out there that c- can make the claim that Spagnola kind of tricked them into you know throwing more, uh, kind of baited them into that based on some of the fronts that they were seeing. I, I still thought that they should have incorporated you know uh, that a lot more and. And I'm not saying that would have been a difference in the game. May not have because, you know, we know passing is obviously more efficient than running in general. But I, I think they could have sustained more drives and would have had more success. And who knows? I mean, the defense made great adjustments in the second half. You know, as great as Mahomes is, like they only gained, I think, 65 yards in the second half. Uh, it was it was really a, a good game plan uh, by Mike McDonald to slow them down. And so the offense had plenty of chances to uh, to win that game. And, and it was unfortunate for, for Baltimore fans that they didn't get it, they didn't get it done. Yeah, they also lost Charles Amenahu pretty early in the game, and I thought there was a real opportunity there. Clark, when, when uh, we assign uh, like a, a pie of blame for why they lost, right? Some people will say, you know, Monkins, bad play calling, Lamar not playing at his best. And then there's the self-inflicted wounds. It felt like dumb penalties uh, that were clear, clear dumb shots, like clotheslining Mahomes, hitting him in the head, the, 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 the headbutt. Uh, to Travis Kelsey after the play. Uh, Zay Flowers spinning the ball at the guy's feet and getting a taunting penalty and then reaching out for the goal line and getting the ball punched out. Um, like, 
if all of that confluence of things doesn't happen, they probably have first and goal from the one if Zay Flowers doesn't fumble, and they probably get a touchdown there. And we're looking at a 17-17 game. So when you start to assign blame for why the Ravens lost, where where do you think was the most crucial um, thing that they let down? I mean, it's important to keep perspective. When two great teams play against each other, one of them is going to lose. And the team that loses, you know, there's there's what hundred over 100 plays in a football game. There's a million things you can point at that happen. And the Ravens, they shot themselves in the foot too many times. But it wasn't like the Chiefs played a perfect game either. You know, the, the Chiefs failed to capitalize on that early turnover uh, on that fourth down stop. Um, you know, penalties kept them out of the end zone at the end of the first half. And I, I just think it's a matter of two really good teams playing against each other and one of them played better and one of them played worse. And I, I don't think that Ravens fans should be panicking about, you know, oh, is Todd Munkin even, you know, like he was so terrible in this game. Uh, you know, Lamar Jackson choked in a playoff game. Like none of that, none of that is is real. I mean, it's just, it's a very good, Chiefs have a very good defense. Chiefs have a very good team. Um, and and they got the better of the Ravens in this one. I, I think obviously you can point to those mistakes. The The lack of discipline the Ravens showed at times was, you know, very alarming, I think, and and showed that they weren't as prepared to be there as the Chiefs, but um, they were in position to make that game a game and, and they just didn't do it. So, you know, there, there's plenty of ways that, that game could have gone differently. Um, Nathan asked a great question, which we'll address later in the show when we bring up how San Fran and Kansas City might look to approach the game. Uh, Cleve, I wanted to ask you about Kansas City and specifically, there's something going on in the second half of their games because did you know that they're down there with the Jets and Giants as far as second half scoring goes? For whatever reason, and it happened against the Bills, we talk about how the Bills in the last drive got conservative, got too aggressive going for the deep shot and then having to settle for a game-tying field goal. The truth is the Chiefs had two drives to seal the game, and they didn't. Um, They were one of the lowest-scoring second-half teams. They didn't score in the second half of this game. I remember they had a, a stretch in the season where they had three straight games of getting shut out in the second half. Is there a reason for this other than, hey, they're probably just protecting the lead and then they get conservative when they probably shouldn't? Do you have a reason? Because I can't figure out why why they deteriorate in the second half. No, I wish I had a good answer. I haven't honestly I haven't dug in enough to know why. Um, so I can't give you a really good answer. I don't have enough uh, of a background exactly what's going on with with each of these games. But yeah, I mean the the it's been kind of a uh, open secret to to take their second half unders because it just keeps cashing. Uh, in the first half, they come out. Who knows? It could be just, you know, Andy Reid has, has a really good game script. You know, Mahomes comes out firing and then second half, you know, teams adjust and, you know, maybe they're just Matt Nagy, et cetera, are just not adjusting well enough. I'm not really sure, to be quite honest with you. Um, so it's really hard for me to to pinpoint exactly why. Uh, but, you know, they, they have done they've had games when they've needed to turn it turn it on. And uh, I think against the Raiders, for example, when they were in Las Vegas down 14 nothing early and blew them out in the second half. So there have been some instances where. You know, even uh, against the Bills last week, um, you know, they were able to, to maintain uh, that lead. And obviously they would have scored more if it wasn't for that Hardman fumble uh, at, uh, inside the one. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, they scored against Miami, right? Like I thought they they did OK in that game. So maybe, you know, and against I know against the Bengals, they came back. So this might have been more of a first first half of the year thing than than the last month or so. I mean, I know yesterday was a little different story, but, you know, that I think that's more. Mike McDonald and that Ravens defense kind of figuring things out more than uh, it was on Kansas City. So I, I would just say it was maybe 
Um, you know, they just had to adjust in general. I think their offense in general was struggling until the last month. So I think it's kind of, it goes hand in hand. Clark, there's a, there's a thing in football where we like to overcomplicate things and like look in depth, the matchups and this team is better and has advantages here. And you, you posted a graph and I thought it was funny of, you know, the, the guy who's super uh, square and doesn't understand football telling you, wow, Mahomes getting points as a dog is a, is the way to go. And then the super brilliant guy that simplifies football to, hey, uh, Mahomes is the better quarterback getting points is the way to go. And then there's the guy in the middle who's saying you need to consider uh, all the things in between. Um, it's funny that football, we talk about, uh, you know, matchups and how good a roster is. And sometimes it just comes down to the better quarterback wins wins in the NFL. There's there's not much more to it. Clark, are you there? Yeah, sorry. I, I can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, so we can hear you. You were talking about oversimplifying or overcomplicating the game. Yeah. Um, and I unfortunately missed half of what you were saying. <laughs> I, I I was just bringing up the point is we 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 dive into the matchups. I remember it with the Super Bowl Kansas City and San Francisco four years ago where San Fran had all the edges and all the right positional stuff. And then the better quarterback just won them the game. And sometimes football is as simple as this guy is the better quarterback or the best quarterback we've ever seen. And uh, and it, it makes you take a step back. Like, what are we really doing here? Yeah, I mean, I thought Lamar Jackson made some crucial mistakes in this game and Mahomes didn't. Uh, I'm thinking about there was a third and three uh, late in the game where he was scrambling around and he had the opportunity to throw it away and he ran out of bounds for a sack instead or third and one, sorry. Third and one, he turned led into to a fourth and three. Yeah. Led to a fourth and three. He converted the fourth and three. Great. But that was a terrible play at the time. Turning a third and one or yeah, third and one to a fourth and three is a terrible decision. The throw into triple coverage, terrible decision ended a drive that was very promising uh, he had a there was a throw to the flat to the running back where he just straight missed him on a key third down as well it led to a punt and I thought Lamar just didn't bring it in those moments and Patrick Mahomes did and you know I I get that the second half st- stats for the Chiefs w- weren't great but the Ravens defense was playing lights out and they adjusted to those screen passes and were shutting down everything they were getting to Mahomes he had to get the ball out nobody was open downfield so he had to throw it to the flats and the Ravens were tackling real fast and I think the Chiefs taking care of the ball in the second half was absolutely crucial to them beating the Ravens in this game. If you look at the games where the Ravens really dominated in the regular season, thinking about the 49ers and the Dolphins games, both of those games were blown open by short fields that the Ravens had based on turnovers from the other team's offense, right? They were kind of trading punches with the Dolphins and then two or through a pick. Um, and then that set up a 38 yard field for a touchdown that kind of like blew the game open. Um, they also had a punt re- or a kickoff return to the 18 for an 18-yard touchdown drive. And then late in the game, they had a 32-yard and 8-yard touchdown drives. And then against San Francisco, uh, they were losing. And then they got a 53-yard touchdown drive. And then they, they got a interception that led to a field goal without gaining any yards. And then a 44-yard touchdown drive and a 9-yard touchdown drive. And so what the Chiefs were doing by taking care of the ball and avoiding mistakes was forcing Baltimore to march down the field. That was taking time off the clock, and it put the Baltimore Ravens offense in more of a panic mode, and I think led to some of the poor decision-making that Lamar Jackson and the play callers had. So I think the Chiefs offense did its job, even though it didn't, um, you know, put up the stats in the second half. And I think credit goes to Mahomes, and I think Lamar, Lamar fell short, frankly. 
All right, let's talk about Baltimore's next steps, Cleve. Um, I was going to ask, where does Baltimore go from here, especially because Mike McDonald is going to be highly wanted and some people are connecting the dots with him landing in Seattle. Beat Gamer says, um, the Ravens can't let Mike McDonald go. If it's between him leaving and keeping Harbaugh, you fire Harbaugh, which is, uh, at the very least, it's a very tantalizing take. Cleve, um, Mike McDonald is probably going to leave, right? There's no way they're firing Harbaugh to elevate Mike McDonald. What do the Ravens do defensively if they've got to replace this guy? Yeah, they're uh, they're kind of in uh, a cap. I don't know, cap hell is the right term because I feel like you can get out of it pretty easily. But they've got some cap issues, and they've got a ton of free agents. And this is an older, you know, an older roster. I mean, their entire I think their entire front four on defense. Um, you know, Justin Matabuke, Clowney, Van Noy, like there's a lot of guys that are uh, free agents this year. Um, and then, you know, you've got, I think you've got Patrick Queen as well. So you've got some real players uh, defensively that are, are going to need, are going to need to be paid and they don't have a lot of money. Uh, and so they got to figure that out. I, so I, it's more than just the coaching. They've got a roster issue and that's, you know, that we've talked about this when you've got a, a guy that you're paying all this money to a quarterback, you know, you're going to get those sort of things, but you know, it's, it's not just the coaching that they've got to deal with. It's the actual roster itself. I mean, the, I know it's, it's a, it's a cool kind of fantasy thought to just say, you know, Hey, let's uh, let's fire Harbaugh and, and uh, promote McDonald. I mean, it's not realistic. That's not going to happen, you know, but at some point, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be something that I think it's more Lamar than anything. I, I mean, honestly, like I agree with, with, uh, Clark that he just did not play well at all and there's just something about these playoff games when especially when they fall behind and that's why the whole running thing bothered me because they didn't need to just panic and throw the ball over the field they could have kept running the ball uh, they didn't need to rely on Lamar's arm necessarily uh, but yeah I don't think you're, you're not going to make that decision it's you know obviously it's being irrational uh, Harbaugh's a really good coach and you know sometimes you just you just get beat like that so um, but they do have to figure out what to do because their cap is an issue. And, you know, they, they do have uh, a roster uh, concern uh, in the, especially in the front four uh, defensively. And it's not like they're great in the back end. I mean, they got Kyle Hamilton, they got an aging. I mean, they got, they got to do something with Marlon Humphrey. He's not as nearly as good as he used to be. Yeah. So it's really just Kyle Hamilton back there. They don't have much talent uh, outside of that. It's more scheme than anything, but you know, they'll, uh, I'm sure they'll promote the next guy. You, I mean, no one had ever heard of Mike McDonald before this, right? I mean, he came from Michigan. So, you know, there's always guys that come up, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, promoting guys uh, to become DC, et cetera. So I'm sure they'll be fine in that regard. I, I'm more worried about the roster than anything. All right. Clark, uh, Cleve mentioned Lamar. They have been the one seed twice under Lamar. The last time was a 14 and two season. They have zero Super Bowl appearances under him. Their only playoff wins have ever been against uh, Ryan Tannehill and the Titans and rookie quarterbacks. That's it. They have not beaten a truly content, a true contender in the playoffs. Uh, is, is, can Lamar build from this year? Is there a next gear? Because this is his second MVP season, and uh, or are you concerned? This is it. This is the best it, it gets with Lamar. I mean, I think this is the best it gets with Lamar, but that's pretty good. Like, he's a very, very good quarterback, and he earned the MVP award this year because he's a good player. I don't think he's anywhere near Mahomes' level. I don't think he's on Josh Allen's level, 
But I do think he's a quarterback that you can win with if you have the right weapons and the scheme and the defense, which they had this year. And they had a shot, right? They were favored to win this game and they would have been favored in the Super Bowl if they'd have won. So I don't think that anyone needs to hit the panic button on Lamar. I just think realistic expectations should be set on, you know, what this offense's ceiling is with him. And I think it's lower than the ceiling is with some of these other guys. Um, I do think that there, the attitude, you know, this is anecdotal, but I remember when Patrick Mahomes lost the, I think the Bengals game a couple years ago, the, the next day he tweeted like a picture of him doing a workout with like an alarm clock. And he was like, you know, I, this isn't, I'm not going to, I'm not losing next year. Um, and I saw a tweet from Marlon Humphrey today that was like, it just hit me today that that was our chance. And it, it just, it feels a little bit defeatist. Like, you know, there's only one guy, like I, he doesn't speak for every Ravens player, but it does feel a little bit like the Ravens kind of, you know, you could see them kind of losing it on the field. Like I worry, I worry about whether they have the right mindset to, you know, pick it up and turn it around next year with a different defensive coordinator, maybe losing some guys. I'll be super curious to see how, betters treat the AFC North in futures markets with sure. Joe Burrow getting healthy. Um, but I, I think there's a possibility that the Bengals could even be favored to win the division. So that, that's going to be super interesting. I think the Ravens uh, do have a lot of questions to answer. They're going to have to rely on another elite defensive performance next year. And year to year, elite defensive performances are hard to come by. All right. Let's talk about San Francisco, Detroit. Um, this was a, a, a hell of a game. Um, I feel so bad for Detroit fans because being up 17 at half, you you probably were already thinking about the Super Bowl and potentially knocking off Mahomes, Cleve. And then something happened. Uh, there was this insane uh, run uh, in the third quarter uh, after San Fran kicks the field goal. Uh, you've got the Detroit deciding to go for it on fourth down, not getting it. San Fran uh, throwing a pass that lands off the face mask of the defender into Ayuk's hands. They turn it into a touchdown, then a fumble. Then the touchdown, and the game was tied in the blink of an eye. Um, I actually want to talk about the Dan Campbell stuff specifically. Um, a lot was made about his super aggression. Um, what do you make about the two big decisions? A before the half to kick the field goal instead of take uh, instead of going for the touchdown, and then that fourth quarter, uh, the third quarter drive where they could have kicked to try to go up seventeen, but instead went for it, and Josh Reynolds dropped the ball. Yeah, I think the the one for the half, um, I think that turned out to be I, I, I mean I I probably would have gone for it, but I didn't mind it at the time because the one benefit to why you go for it when you're at fourth and you know uh, goal from less than the five is if you don't get it, you pin the other team back, right? That's part mm -hmm. of the benefit for doing that. So you didn't have that uh, at the end of the half, so you kind of lose that edge. At the same time, you know, you you drove all the way down. You had a really good half you know, San Francisco was going to get the ball first in the second half. So to go up, you know, from a two score to a three score game, I, I do think that there was value in that. Um, so I, I could, I, I was perfectly fine with that. So I would have been fine either way. I mean, go, driving all that way and then not getting it would have been a little bit of a backbreaker. I think uh, considering San Francisco had the ball first in the second half. So I think that's what Dan Campbell was thinking of. And honestly, if you watch him, he was agonizing over the decision. I knew, you know, it, it looked like it was a true coin flip and he just said last minute, like, no, 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 let's just get the points. So I, I can understand that one. The other two, I thought it was perfectly fine. Like, I think this is, I, I'm already annoyed by it. It's just, and this is like, this is a week after the whole, you know, down eight going for two thing. It's just yeah. like, this is going to be another two weeks of this. And it's so nauseating because 
the guy that's all he's done all season. That's that's what they've lived on. Or that's how they that's why they got there, right? Exactly. It's just like it's so insane that that people think this way and they only think about the negative. And it's I saw somebody. I'm not he's going to rename nameless, but he was on TV and he's supposed a gambling expert. And he was talking about how, oh, you know, they only get they only convert 50 percent of the time on fourth down. And it's like like just completely ignorant to the fact of, you know, how many times once they convert, do they score touchdown versus, you know, kicking a field goal like the, uh, you know, the, the actual points added by going for it. He just doesn't understand the difference between seven and three, you know, so. Uh, you can you can go for it. You know you can only convert fifty percent of the time. But if you score seven versus three, you're you're ahead. Like he doesn't understand that math there. So you know that's the thing that's that's really nauseating. But I I mean look you have a you have a field goal kicker who's who's long during the regular season was forty one yards. Uh, Michael Bagley was was picked up halfway through the year. You know it, there's no automatic field goals when you're forty five yards out outdoors. Uh, you know in San Francisco. And it didn't you know, like that's the thing. You, you, these people that want to quote unquote take the points, you know, just assume that you just get three points by deciding to kick a field goal that you don't actually have to kick it. You know, that would obviously change the math there when, you know, it goes from a 75 percent chance 100%. to 100 percent. So, you know, I, I had no problems at all. I mean, that is what it is. And, you know, that's it was a drop by Reynolds. It was a tough play, but, you know, he, he dropped the ball and they didn't get it. And, you know, imagine if they would have tried to kick the field goal and they missed it. The momentum would have been all on San Francisco's side, according to all these He got conservative when it mattered, right? That's the other story. It's like no matter what happens, if it's good or bad, that's that decided if it was a good decision. And if Josh Reynolds doesn't drop two balls, we're probably having a a conversation about uh, what the the 49ers do next offseason now that they've lost, right? Um, I want to bring up. Well, I'm say real quick. Sorry, George. I, yeah. I, I do have to mention because the one the one decision that's I mean I, all the fourth down decisions are fine in my opinion. The one decision that he screwed up on that I think is universal is running the ball on third down at the goal line and then not run. You either if you're gonna call that you run your field goal team onto the field and kick it immediately. Calling a timeout is the absolute worst. I mean, you end the game by calling a timeout. The game was over whether you scored a TD or not on that play by calling timeout. I would have personally, once they get to like the 15 or whatever, with like a minute and a half, I would have just kicked the field goal. I know that's just me, and I don't know what the math says, but you need the, the, the value of the timeouts and the time was more important than whether you got three or seven, I think, in my opinion. So I would have at least kicked the field goal. First, if not, if you're going to go all the way down to the the end, every every throw's got to be in the end zone. You can't run the ball, uh, or if you're going to run it, you got to run people on the field. Calling timeout there was a worse. So that was the worst decision among them yeah. all, and, and that cost them. Clark, uh, I want to bring up a Mike Florio tweet, and I don't think I've ever said that in my life. That sentence, uh, just because, um, uh, if you can uh, bring it up, Jason, just because it feels like this is always the default discussion after these decisions. A coach told me earlier today that analytics was just a way for people who never would have gotten jobs in football to get jobs in football. To understand that is to understand why they get so defensive whenever anyone questions analytics. I want your immediate reaction. Oh, we're we're going backwards with this shit. Um, (laughs) Like anybody that doesn't understand that analytics is just an attempt to understand optimal decision making using data and, you know, past results plus future projections based on, you know, team quality, et cetera. Like anyone doesn't understand the goals, like can say ignorant stuff like this about analytics without even attempting to understand what it is. It's very annoying. Yeah, it, it feels like they don't want to make the uh, attempt to understand 
why uh, analytics is a thing that a lot of teams uh, or all teams are infusing into their roster. So they have this default position of, yeah, this is what's ruined football. Uh, I, I also would bet all the money in my pocket that the coach he asked is not actively coaching in the NFL. Because if you don't at least acknowledge this is the direction we're heading, then I, I think the game has passed you by. Probably Ron Rivera. <laughs> no, but like yeah. you know what's funny? Like they don't even understand that New, New England was the pioneer with all of the with all of the fourth down decision making, and they had Ernie Adams, who kind of uh, he was their analytics guru for Belichick, and they just kept it all under hood. They never talked about it publicly. He'll never admit it publicly because it was such a kind of a such a treasure for them, and such a, a you know um, uh, you know. It, it gave them such an advantage yeah. that they didn't want to talk about it publicly, but they're, they're kind of golden boy, Bill Belichick and new England Patriots. If they really knew how often he relied on those analytics back in the day uh, and those decision-making um, situations that they wouldn't have the same, you know, same discussion. So it's just, it's really, it's really uh, annoying. Um, and, you know, it's the same old, uh, we're going to have the same stuff going on for a number of years. So I guess we got to get used to it. I want to play some audio for you and tell me if you think this is off-putting because I saw a lot of mixed reaction uh, for people responding to it. Um, Dan Campbell's post-game comments to his roster. If we can start it right from the beginning, Jason. I told those guys, this may have been always shot. Do I think that? No. Do I believe that? No. However, I, I know how hard it is to get here. I, I'm well aware. And it'll be... It's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point next year than it was this year. That's that's the reality. And if we don't have the same hunger and the same work, which is a whole other thing, once we get the offseason, um, then we got no shot of getting back here. I don't care uh, how much better we get or what we add or what we drive. It's irrelevant. Um, it's going to be tough. Everybody knows. Um, okay. Uh, obviously, there's nothing there that he lied about. My question is, Clark, if you lost a game where you were thinking at half you're on your way to the Super Bowl and then you get crushed with a loss like that, is that the speech you want to hear in that moment? I, I I don't take any issue with it. I think it's right. I mean, I like how does he how does he get his guys to attack next season with the same level of hunger? that they had going into this season now that they've achieved so much of what they wanted to achieve. Like they haven't achieved everything they wanted to achieve, but they got close and they did a lot. And it's, I think he understands that part of what made his team good this year was that hunger. And so I, I, I don't know how, you know, obviously the, the things he says to his team in private are going to be much more important. Like players aren't watching their coaches press conferences as far as I know. Um, so, so I think, you know, I think that message actually has potential to be the right one for the lions in that, you know, we we didn't achieve what we wanted to. Yes, we proved some things to some people, but we didn't finish the job and we need to come back with the same intensity and hunger next year. So I, I think that's I mean, I think that's a good attitude to have. Uh, for Honestly, and I think I had I, I to step in here, but I, I do think that I totally I totally subscribe to the disease of me which is, a, you know, Pat, I think Pat Riley is the one who coined that years ago where, you know, you kind of, you, you win a title or you get to the championship and you kind of, you hear about, you know, in the off season, you kind of take everything for granted and you, know, you don't come back with that same hunger. I think him, whether he did it on purpose or not, I think there, there is going to be some, some, you know, unintentional consequences, meaning, you know, he's motivating them. He's saying like by him saying, all right, you're, you're likely not to get here again. Like that is a motivating factor. I think for a player in the off season to, 
to be hungry and to really have a goal and to kind of prove it their own coach wrong, right? If your own coach is saying that, that's a that's a way to rally everybody instead of saying, all right, we had a great year, we'll be back next year. Like that's where the disease of me comes, mm. uh, you know, because at that point everyone just assumes that you're gonna make it back. So I have no problems at all with him saying it. A, I think it's absolutely true. We saw it with the Eagles this year. Like there is nothing guaranteed. And I would lay a lot of money that the Lions are not going to get back here next year, not because they're not good or they don't have talent because it's just so hard and you need every break to go your way. Uh, so I, I have no problems with him using any sort of edge uh, in order to uh, to help them from a motivation standpoint. You also, you also need health. Like it's not lost on me. Oh, that yeah. the, the, fi the final four teams are relatively healthy. And football is often, often a, a, like a, a sport of attrition, right? Who sure, did it get yeah. the most decimated by injuries? Uh, otherwise, you know, maybe we're talking about uh, San Fran playing uh, against his protege, Kyle Shanahan. But I, mean, uh, I, George, I, mean, I do these, you know, I do my offseason uh, uh, previews and I dig into all these, you know, luck factors, all this stuff. And some of yeah. it, you know, you, you never know. But you'd be shocked at how many times it's like, my God, this team didn't have, look at their offensive line. Their offensive line is fantastic. I think it drives between them and Ben and, and Ben Johnson. That drives the entire offense is that yeah. line. It, yeah. it opens up so many things you you just dominate the, you know, defensive lines in the trenches and it allows for, um, you know, uh, pass protection allows all their play designs to open up all those sorts of things. I mean, literally outside of, a couple games lost by Jonah Jackson, who's a free agent, by the way, their whole line was healthy this year. They didn't lose any games. That is very rare. That is one area that like, I see time and time again when I do the, these previews. The offensive line, if you have a healthy line like Atlanta last year, had nobody missed a single start in the regular season. We saw they started to get some more injuries uh, during the season this year. And just in general, they were not as good. Like It's really hard to maintain that. Once you lose that line, right? what happens then? The Jared Goff is not nearly as effective. You don't have nearly as effective run game, and you're going to lose Ben Johnson. Like There's a lot of things that went their way that is not going to go their way this year, and you know it's it's really hard for that to maintain. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really hard to assume that they're going to get back there. All right, let's talk about Ben Johnson because I guess that's the biggest offseason question. Actually, there's two for the Detroit Lions. Clark, uh, the Eagles failed to replace their brilliant offensive play caller and suffered for it. Where does Detroit begin to look? Because the options are starting to slim. That's the problem of going deep. Guys start taking jobs. I guess Arthur Smith is still out there. But are the Lions going to take a big step back just because they're losing a brilliant play caller here? I think if they go in another direction with things, yes. they they There's reason to anticipate a step back. I think... I would I would look for someone in the building who's been paying attention, right? I mean, they they have been working on offense for a couple of years now, really really effectively. And if Ben Johnson hasn't been going out of his way to train up his replacement, which I think the really really good coaches do, then there has to be someone in that building who has understood how this is operating. You know, one of the position coaches or something that someone has to step in and fill that role. If they go in a completely different direction, like Arthur Smith. I, I'm more skeptical. Um, but if it's someone that is sort of in the system, has been working with Ben Johnson's playbook, has been working with Goff and this offensive line for years, then I think uh, I, I'm more optimistic that it's going to be a smoother transition. You know, you know, you know what point uh, uh, really showcases that is we always get the graphic of all the talent Washington once had in the building, Sean McVay and LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan, and somehow they ended up with none of them. I was surprised to learn that Ben Johnson was on the Miami Dolphins staff for six years. And it's just like, don't let the genius out of the building. 
you better do a damn good job of figuring out who the next man up is. And Kyle Shanahan's done a lot of that. He's he's done a really good job of, okay, who's next man up? Who's next man up? And uh, Detroit better hope that they have a secret genius in waiting. Uh, I want to just quickly touch on two coaching decisions this offseason. Um, and I want to start with you, Cleve. I thought the Eagles blew it last year with Sean Desai and Brian Johnson. They luckily said, hey, it's time to move on from both of them. Then they go out and they get Vic Fangio at defensive coordinator and Kellen Moore at offensive coordinator. Is this is this two home run hires? Did they nail it one year later? Home run, I don't know, but I think it's I think they did fine. I mean, the Fangio thing, I mean, you saw it day, day in and day out. Like, you know, they played well against bad teams, but they never stepped it up against any of the, the high-powered teams. I don't know. Has he lost his fastball a little bit? Have teams kind of figured out, um, you know, that too high shell? I don't know. Like that maybe, you know, maybe it, he's just not as uh, proficient as he used to be. I'm not sure. Like I said, I, I'm not uh, uh, well adept from from the, the X's and O's standpoint to know fully. But, you know, it's fine. It's better than what they had. And it's it's a veteran. Um, and he, he was consulting for them two years ago. So at least he has some familiarity with the roster. and they They know him. You know, offensively, I thought Kellen Moore is a good, good uh, OC. Didn't you know, with all those injuries, and then with the Herbert injury, and you know, it, it was really tough for him to, to shine this year. But I thought he did well in Dallas. So uh, I do think he's a little bit more like-minded with yeah. uh, an organization like Philly than he was uh, in LA and obviously in Dallas. So I think he'll he'll be he'll be additive. He's better than what they had. So I don't think they're home runs, but I think they were they were pretty good for what was I guess what was out there and and what they needed. Clark, are you surprised the Atlanta Falcons um, uh, chose Raheem Morris? The the word out of the building is every single executive didn't want Bill because Bill comes in and wants the power. And Blank decided to side with his executives over Bill. Um, so my question is, are you surprised? And then we, we were connecting the dots with Bill to Buffalo and Philly and Dallas. And it just dawned on me, those jobs all might be open again next year if those teams underperform. So it might just be a one-year uh, break, and then he still gets his pick of, of top team um, going. But were you genuinely surprised that Bill's not going to be coaching in the NFL next year? I'm not overly surprised. I, I think he... I just just don't think that he's got it anymore. Like I I don't know if that's controversial to say, but no. he his 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 way of doing things philosophically doesn't really vibe with young people today. Like it, it's just a very the whole patriot way thing. Like I get it, like it worked, but the whole shut up and do your job thing like isn't <clears throat> isn't what young people respond to. And so these young athletes coming in. I don't think that they really responded to Bill Belichick's coaching the last few years in the same way that they did, you know, 15 years ago. And then you look at the success that Tom Brady had even after he left New England and the lack of success that the Belichick had with the teams that were left after Brady left. And I, I just, I don't think there's really much of anything to go off of to think that he's going to turn a franchise around at this point in his career. He's not a great offensive mind. He's, he's a great defensive mind, but you know, even that like, offenses have changed in the NFL and and he hasn't been as dominant on defense as he was as he once was. So I'm not surprised at all that teams want to go with someone young and up and coming because even if you get Belichick and he does a good job, how many years is that going to last? You know, mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not hiring the next Andy Reid, you're not hiring the next Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan. You you want someone who has potential to carry your team for a long time and build up other coaches under him. And I just don't think that Belichick has any track record of doing that. 
So not not surprised if I was a team, I wouldn't have wanted to hire Belichick either. So I guess, you know, putting myself in their shoes, <clears throat> I get it. Let's uh, talk the Super Bowl and uh, we're saving the in-depth matchup advantages for next week. This is what I hate about uh, the break between championship weekend and Super Bowl. You have two weeks to talk about one game and my God, every narrative gets extent, uh, you know, exhausted. But let's talk some narratives in this game. Um, uh, Cleve, what's the better narrative to you? Kyle Shanahan going for his first Super Bowl win, Trent Williams' first Super Bowl appearance, and Mr. Irrelevant possibly winning a Super Bowl, or Patrick Mahomes cements his legacy, Dynasty three titles in five years, and Travis Kelsey gets the girl and gets the ring. What What is the better narrative to you? <laughs> better narrative we're doing narrative talk huh yeah, um, we are doing narrative talk oh my god I, I, yeah, I hate next week we're that. doing gatorade talk Cleve, so get <laughs> ready for it. i don't know i mean i think it's cool though i i think i think sports uh in general are always uh better when there's like a dynasty and like not necessarily a villain but there's there's one team that everybody's trying to knock off the the top you know when i grew up with the you know the bulls and jordan um, you know, we're just dominating and every single year it was like, who can beat them? Like, I, I think there is something good about that. Um, you know, so for them to get there again, and if mm -hmm. they win it, a you just, you know, cements that Mahomes just, you know, maybe the best quarterback of our lifetime, but then also I think it's, it, it's, it's always good to have that one kind of team at the top, but I mean, either way, I mean, Purdy winning it would be, would be really interesting because then he'd kind of be in line with, you know, Kurt Warner and Brady, you know, guys that, either were undrafted or, or really late picks, you know, winning a Super Bowl, which is just incredible, you know, considering how, the, you know, how long those odds are to do that. Yeah. So I, I would like to say, I think Purdy's kind of, I mean, the guy, he seems like a really nice guy, like a mild mannered, kind of uh, doesn't do anything wrong. And, and, you know, everyone just rips on him for, you know, Cam Newton, you know, for being a game manager and, you know, uh, nobody, he even said he didn't think he was going to be MVP and, and everybody's ripping him for that. So it's like, you know, I, I don't mind having a guy like that win it. It's, it's, you know, it helps for the, it helps all those other uh, quarterbacks and, and players that are uh, not highly, you know, uh, you know, thought after from uh, uh, you know, coming out of college, you know, that they can still, they still have something to to achieve. So I don't know. I, I would say that the the dynasty and with Casey and maybe Andy Reid retires after this, who knows? I think that is, is fine. In my, and look, Kelsey uh, grew up pretty close to where I grew up, uh, um, you know, uh, members of his family actually went to my high school. So uh, we do have that uh, long, 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 long uh, connection. So I do have a soft spot for Kelsey in general, probably more than the average Joe does is because they're probably sick of Taylor Swift. But uh, uh, I do. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. There's uh there's this thing uh, dynamic. It's a basic storyline, right? Uh, the hero gets beat down by the villain early in the movie and he finally overcomes him later. He figures out how to beat him. It uh, happens in sports too, right? It happens. Uh, Cleveland lost to Golden State, and then LeBron figured it out the next year. They had to come back down from three-one. Just perfect movie script level stuff. In wrestling, um, Cody Rhodes lost to Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania last year, and this year he's got his rematch to overcome the guy he couldn't beat. And Shanahan lost his Super Bowl to the Chiefs, and he has the chance to conquer that demon and beat the team that he couldn't beat. Here's two other narratives we're going to hear a lot of, Clark, the next two weeks. Andy Reid with an extra week of rest to prepare, and Kyle Shanahan choke job, two Super Bowls 
with a lead, and he never closed either one of them. One as the offensive coordinator in Atlanta, the other as the head coach of San Francisco. Um, do you buy into any of that? Uh, not really in terms of, you know, making my number and, and looking to see which side I want to bet. Uh, but I do think some narratives have some, you know, some truth to it. Like a Andy Reid having more time to prepare, like it does matter. Like he's shown again and again that he's really good at coming up with game plans when given time to prepare and, and knowing his opponent. So that's real. You know, Kyle Shanahan has shown a tendency to be conservative in bad spots, uh, struggles with decision making in, in games and big games. You know, that's that's a thing. So so there's a chance that e those two things could impact the outcome of the Super Bowl. Um, but again, I'm not really I'm not really making numbers based off of it. I just think it's it's just good to know the the range of outcomes and, and the range of outcomes does include those things mattering. All right. I've got a few more questions, but I want to hear in the chat. Any bets that you've already made or are looking at in the Super Bowl, fire away. I want to see where the chat and the nails have already started to put their money. Cleve, let's talk about um, Todd Monken's lack of a game plan. He chose not to run it at the Chiefs. Kyle Shanahan, he's probably sitting there and saying to himself, um, I am going to give a heavy dose of the run game on this team. Is he not? I don't know. Uh, I think I do think he's going to, um, you know, want to get the ball in Christian McCaffrey's hands and Debo Samuel's hands as much as possible. Uh, so I can I can definitely see that. I also can see Steve Spagnola and that defense like forcing uh, San Francisco, you know, loading the box and just trusting that they're, you know, uh, McDuffie and Snead and those guys are going to be able to lock down Ayuk and Debo, et cetera. So for kind of forcing the hand kind of like they did with Munkin and uh, 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 in, in Baltimore and, and forcing Purdy to beat them. So it'll be a fun chess match. That's why I think, you know, the, as Clark was talking about that whole narrative, it's, it's a real, because you give Andy, uh, Andy Reid, you give Spagnola multiple weeks to prepare. I think they're going to come up with some interesting um, game plans. So, you know, I, I don't know, um, you know, kind of how, uh, how they're going to approach that. If they're just going to try to pound the ball, I mean, I think the difference is, you know, with a Baltimore, that is their, I mean, they're, they're a power run team. You've got you know, the most mobile quarterback of all time. And here in San Francisco, yeah, Purdy could move, but he's not a RPO guy. So it's a lot easier to kind of, you know, stack the box and come right at him. So uh, I, I do think they'll, they'll obviously want to get the ball in McCaffrey as much as they can, whether it be swing passes. That's the one thing. So Kansas City is really poor defending running backs out of the backfield. So I do think him out of the backfield is going to be more of a, uh, of a weapon than just purely giving him the ball every time, but it's obviously they're going to, they do lean on, on McCaffrey running the ball and Debo running the ball. So it's, it wouldn't shock me if they, they did that as well, but um, you know, Kansas city might force that out of their hands. So I, I love these chess matches. I, I, I was looking forward to the chess match yesterday with yeah. Spagnola and McDonald and both kind of came through and, you know, one was a little bit better prepared on offense than the other, but uh, I think there's going to be something similar here. Benjamin Solak, I believe, or maybe I'm falsely attributing to him. He said the Kansas City Chiefs secret sauce is Spagnola was such a bad head coach. No one mm -hmm. will ever try to steal him from the Chiefs. And it's kind of true, right? Usually if you're a top of your game coordinator, you're going to eventually get poached out of your position. And the Chiefs seem to never have that threat of losing Spagnolo, And he's been so good for them. Clark, um, we, we're learning that Joe Thune uh, looks like he's got a torn peck and will not play in the game. The, I guess the two big injuries in this game are Willie Gay and Charles Amenahu for the Chiefs. Now, Charles Amenahu says he's going to play next week, but um, 
it looked like the injury was pretty bad. And Willie Gay's been dealing with this neck injury for a while. Who's the who's the more important of the two in this game specifically? In this game, I still think it's probably Willie Gay. I mean, I really like Charles Amenehu as a player. Uh, they, they started the season with him suspended and looked pretty good without him. And then against Baltimore, it really didn't feel like their defense took much of a step back without him, even though he made a, a great play early on in the game. Whereas Willie Gay, I think, uh, is is part of the middle of the field that is going to be so important to stopping what the 49ers want to do. Uh, they have to have strength across the linebacker core. And, and I th also thought that uh, the guys that stepped in for him, I know Chanel was uh, spying Lamar for the most part instead of Willie Gay, and, and he did a very good job. You could see the discipline uh, in not over-pursuing Lamar and keeping him in front of him. Um, that is, that's not really how you play San Francisco, so I think they're going to need more strength at the linebacker position, whereas um, you know, a many hue on the edge, they have guys that can get to Purdy and, and Chris Jones and, and Carl Aftis, et cetera. So and that offensive line for San Francisco besides Trent Williams isn't very good. So you could absolutely get to him. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, yeah. Chanel, uh, I, I said, you know, I, I think he's a good replacement level player. I think drew tranquil. And then Chanel had a play where he let Lamar get through his grasp and make a play. And I'm just like, ah, oh, all right, I guess I got to eat my words that it wasn't going to be that big of an injury. Uh, let's talk, let's talk the line really quickly. Um, uh, it's, it's funny. Um, we get so caught up on what our power ratings are and what the line should be. And then, you know, come Super Bowl, it's like, all right, let's just let's just simplify it. Who the hell's betting against Mahomes for a third straight time, even though the market steamed against them? The line opened up as high as three at you know Chris and FanDuel. Our sponsor Pinnacle and a sharp book in Vegas open at two and a half. Everywhere's been bet down to one. Um, Cleve, were you surprised by the open uh, or the early line movement towards Kansas City? Uh, no, and no. I think in our uh, in our hammer chat, I uh, I said before the game was over. I said San Francisco minus three in the Super Bowl, right? When when Kansas City won, and I think everybody said, you know, yeah, that's you can actually get the look at. And I said it's going to be funny to type out Brock Purdy is favored by three over Patrick Mahomes, and I just assumed that that everybody would jump on, uh, unless San Francisco had one. This is before the Niners won, you know. Yes. Unless San Francisco completely destroyed Detroit, I would assume that everybody was going to kind of push the number down a bit. And that's what we saw. I mean, I thought it was. I thought it would hold at like one and a half and now it's down to one and, you know, trending towards pick. Maybe I do think pick is the floor. Uh, you know, I, I'd heard some people talk about maybe Kansas city will be favored. I don't think it would, it will get to that. That's just my opinion. I mean, the market ratings, if you just look at market ratings. There is, I mean, this is not, this number should be more like three and a half. I think. Yeah. You know, purely, the, you know, the right? problem is though, Cleve, you have to upgrade Kansas city when you go on the road and beat Buffalo and go on the road and beat Baltimore, right. Don't you? I'm, but I'm looking at market ratings now that as of last week was like four and a half on a neutral. Um, so even if you upgraded that and you got it to three, just to be fair, which was the opening number, you know, to get it down to you know one here, that's pretty substantial. I think we're going to see more. I, I think it's closer to the San Francisco will get more sharper action when it's kind of all said and done and maybe it gets back up to two or whatnot. You know, I personally, I'm not taking uh, either side. I will say, you know, one thing I did last year, um, I did like Kansas City when they were like a one, one and a half point underdog uh, against Philly, I think at the time. And I just I just took Mahomes MVP and I still and that was like plus 135, 140 at the time. Yeah. And I know that's not exactly 100 percent correlated. And maybe this year it's even less, but it's pretty darn close to like 90, 95 percent correlated. Like you have to really blow me away to have the Chiefs win the game. 
and then have him not win MVP. You have to have Pacheco, you know, rush for 150 yards. You'd have to have, you know, even if Kelsey has a big game, like you almost always give it to the quarterback, you know, yeah. with the stature of Mahomes. It's pretty rare. You know, I think Brady once didn't get it when uh, maybe Edelman had a huge game. But, you know, uh, I, I could see if you do like the Chiefs personally, and you are at a legal book right now that has these props, like maybe just splitting your action, you know, uh, Kansas City uh, for half and then, you know, Mahomes MVP for half. I don't think that's a bad way to, to, to get, you know, squeeze out a little bit more value in your play, but that's something I'm, you know, I would look at if I'm a, I'm a Chiefs backer. Clark, the Chiefs were dogs against Philly in the Super Bowl, dogs against Buffalo, dogs against Baltimore. Are we going to learn come Super Bowl? Are they going to be dog? Are they going to, at the close, if you had to call it, are they going to go off as dogs or are you thinking pick or are you thinking favorite? I think, I think favorite or pick. I think, I think Chiefs are going to get money here, both public and sharp. Um, I mean, I think there'll be some resistance on 49ers just because, you know, how it works. But with the Super Bowl, from what I understand, I, I've never been on the other side of the counter. But from what I understand, because of the volume of money coming in from rec betters on the Super Bowl, like it can actually influence the line in a way that it maybe doesn't for a regular season game, which is pretty much just decided by sharp action. Yeah. So I think there's that element. There's the element of what you just said, right? I mean. The public was all over Kansas City against Baltimore. They're, they're flush off that win. They got more money to spend than put down on, on Kansas City and Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I feel like there's going to be a ton of action on Kansas City. I just question how, how far how, how far it's going to go. I'm, I'm with Cleve. I think uh, I think Caesars had, I don't know if they still do now, but earlier today they had plus 140 on Mahomes to win Super Bowl MVP. I think that's a, a good pseudo Kansas City bet right there. I'm a little bit annoyed at myself because Last week, I bet Kansas City hard early in the week and just got my face slapped by the market I, I every single day. I, I, there's no way if you told me it's going to four and a half and five at Circa for a bit, I would have called you yeah. a liar. I did not see yeah. that. Come. The market stomped on my face so hard that when the when when the lines opened up after these games, I was like, you know, what? I, I kind of want to bet Kansas City, but I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I, I stayed quiet and, and let, let the move happen without participating in it this week. Uh, I, and it's one of those things where you want to, you don't want to let past experiences dominate your decision-making, but at the same time, it, it had just happened. And, you know, I, I really hated that I had the worst of the number, not the very worst number, but, but didn't have the best of the number on, on the chiefs last week. And so I really didn't want to repeat my mistakes, but I do think we've seen, the best we're going to see on the Kansas city line. I think it's, it's one way from here. It's just a question of how far it goes. I also think you cannot approach this game as if it's in a neutral in the regular season, there is something inherently different about the super bowl. Um, and the chiefs have been there a lot lately and they have a lot of experience. So uh, before we go uh, next week, we will be breaking down individual matchups and how each Offense will match up against each defense and give you a better understanding of how the game will go. But before I do, I uh, just wanted to read out some of the bets. Uh, Michael Arkelian, he's got Purdy Super Bowl MVP at plus 310. James Davis says uh, Travis Kelsey does it for Taylor plus 1300. And Levi TV has I got Pacheco 240 to one. My goodness, that's a really nice bet. Uh, well, I really enjoy everybody. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us on a Monday afternoon. Uh, once again, uh, Forward Progress will have some shows this week, and then next week we're all going to be going in-depth in this Super Bowl game. I want to thank Cleve TA for all the great analysis today. Thanks to Sharp Clark as well. Thanks to producer Jason, and thanks to you, the audience. Until next time.